0: Take a new look at the world around you. Look through a mirror. What does it say about your world that is new? The cinema of Jean Cocteau is a world of mirrors and new ways of imagining the world. Looking at Cocteau's movies is also a kind of gazing into a mirror, reality reflected back, more fantastical, more fabulous. More than the real thing ever could be, Cocteau made prosaic profound. Cocteau called mirrors the door from which death comes and goes. They are essential, George Millier-styled, visual trickery. They stand for narcissism, of course, and are the poet's tool for reassessing his relationship between imaginary space in the space of his reality what do laperron terrible orphe and the testament of orphe reflect back about the artist and his world
1: auriez-vous peur non mais cette glace est une glace et j'y vois un homme malheureux il ne s'agit pas de comprendre il s'agit de croire
0: perhaps you are afraid No, but this mirror is a mirror, and in it I see an unhappy man. You do not have to understand. You just have to believe. Take a tuning fork and some very clever trick photography, and you have enduring cinematic magic. The rest is literature. Liquid mercury is used for the mirrors in Orphe. We could take the mirrors in the film literally, they mean to reflect life. But they can also be full of metaphor. The men in the film can stand as homoerotic doubles and their charged energy of life reflected against death and sex mirrored back onto itself can show and say exactly what they seem to mean. Mirrors in Orfe are cinematic inversions. They are Cocteau subverting the norms of what is usually on screen and what he wants to show to bring us into another world. What was once wholly original, a hand reaching into a mirror and opening up an entire other zone, is now cliché. Out of the necessary utility of its effectiveness. Cocteau said, Mirrors should think longer before they reflected. His cinematic creations are a means of making that happen. Cocteau wants the mirrors not only to reflect, but to show everything to his characters. In less literal terms, although maybe we ought to take Cocteau literally always. The characters of Le Peron Tereble are mirrors. The parents of the film are holding up their own projections of their relationships and failings and holding them against the young man at the center of the narrative. For those who like miracles, this is a masterpiece. To be a writer is to write without writing, again and again, that's what Cocteau does. In his final picture, The Testament of Orpheus*, he finishes his thesis on mirrored subjects. The artist now holds a mirror up to himself. It is a self-examination made for art's sake. Watch it because you want to witness Cocteau's reflection and live inside his mind and his mirror for a while. Today we'll explore all three. Rounding out a retrospective on one of cinema's greatest imaginations. Long live Cocteau, the multi-hyphenate who played with mirrors and every other way of telling a story. Let's now hold up a mirror to a life's work in the arts. A legend is beyond both time and place. Cocteau's legacy lives on in the films. Into the mirror we go. The rest is literature. to the twin geeks 155 i'm calvin here with david and steven and uh this is a podcast which is like a radio show uh for the internet and uh (laughs) it's kind of like a theater of the mind we talk and you hear things and you imagine them wouldn't you say that's all true
2: because of the apple ipod just there you go which i think is going to be big
0: (laughs) do you think it should be something else other than pod Casting. I don't
2: know I was listening to so the Cameron and Mayo podcast which has been going for like 21 years um, came to an end last week um, in it's in its iteration and they were speaking about like the historic kind of elements of it and it's a BBC podcast and they were saying how when they first did it they couldn't use the word podcast on air because the BBC deemed that was advertising for Apple <laughs> they had to call it a download for like a couple of years and then could finally say podcast
0: did they ever say goodbye to Jason Isaacs
2: they did. They have on the last they episode, do. and they have okay. a proper goodbye. There you go. Yeah, sad times. They're back next them. month, so it's not really a goodbye.
0: Yeah, not too sad times. Yeah. Uh, maybe less uh, uh, BBC interference, and maybe yeah. they can yeah. talk about their books and shows they make. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, <laughs> anyway, um, which is something we should stop doing. We should start being like, a, you can't plug anything. You're, you're not allowed to like talk about like your <laughs> life outside of the Twin Geeks. Like, like make like a fake bubble that people mm. have to exist in when they create content for us.
2: Um, I like that as an idea. We are now impartial. Welcome to the impartial Twin Geeks cast. Opinions about film are fine, but any political opinions are wildlife. No,
3: Stephen, you're already kind of halfway there. I've heard you allude to your non-existing, you know, uh, real life job that, that doesn't actually exist before that's because so. i don't
2: want to get fired i don't want i don't want i mean i mean I'm, I'm just, a meeting. my
3: understanding as of now is that they can't really do much to fire you as of tomorrow
2: well yeah but then i start a new job and then they'll fire me from that one <laughs> no go sorry you were on an internet podcast and you said these four letter words that are rude if like, yes, i did say those i'm very sorry uh, please
0: don't <laughs> pretend you have a job outside the website um, no, I, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. like to hear that um yeah, you're,
1: you're, you're yeah,
3: sorry yeah. well uh I'm glad that you're here, Stephen. Despite uh, how late it is over there, the Twin Geeks at night, because of course we mm, get to off the del- delay slightly from my non-the Twin Geeks life things.
0: Uh, please don't <laughs> talk about that. And, <laughs> and- <laughs> so, so, sorry, I, I thought,
3: on, I thought vague on, illusion was okay. My bad. Uh, no, no, no reference whatsoever. Got it. I understand. Um. But also this this one was a little delayed uh, this week. We're you know we we missed last week. Uh,
0: because Please don't of... discuss that. You're
3: right. You're right. You know <laughs> let's just
2: let's just get Welcome into to it. the twin oh. redacted cast. Yes.
0: <laughs> On with the show. Uh, there's uh, uh, three movies this week, which is pretty special because mm. we did three movies last week. And I like when things are mirrors of each other. Yeah, you could listen as, to my beginning. as does
2: Jean Cocteau. Yeah,
0: yeah, you could listen to my beginning rambling about mirrors that you just heard. I guess you don't have to listen to it now. Like if you're listening to this part, uh, this is how podcasts work. <laughs> yes, please works. go back and listen
1: again. Pod-
3: podcasts we've got do, this. do obey the, the laws of time and chronology.
0: Yeah. We're going to mirror the first part. So the second part will just mm. be the same thing over um, where I vaguely talk about mirrors in these three movies that we're going to talk about anyway.
2: I look forward to hearing that.
0: Um, I do too. And if you look forward to hearing it, Please rewind your podcast because it just happened.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you skipped time for it. You can now return.
0: Anyway, I don't want to talk about that because I did that before the podcast, and now we're podcasting. Yeah. So, um.
3: so uh, the first film here, we we left off last time talking about a uh, kind of unknown, non-fantastical cocktail mm. film. Mm. That, you know, was, and 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 that's kind of what we're starting with as well. Uh, same year. Uh, 1948, as the eagle with two heads, Cocteau did another adaptation of a stage play that he'd uh, done during the years of the war, which is uh, probably something I'm going to pronounce terribly, Les parents Terribles. That's. Les-
0: Le Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah,
2: pal, 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 pal. I, I like that Calvin weighs in with, like, no, it's pronounced this way. <laughs> <laughs> no pronouncer of things.
0: I'm very uh, good at <laughs> <laughs> pronunciating things.
2: Um, yeah. yeah, like the word pronunciating, for example.
0: Exactly.
3: The, the, the alternate title is called The Storm Within, which is the really bad big. title. Yeah,
1: that was no, a, a
0: that one. was renamed by a distributor, by the way. That was never like the official mm. or intended well, uh, title. I mean, <laughs> I'm not I mean, surprised it has that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it means nothing like to the actual movie. Actually, uh, I mean, no. you could you could see how you could get that title if you were. It,
2: it, uh, that's just you could attach that title to any drama there yeah. was <laughs> there is internal <laughs> struggle. That's just. Yeah. I,
1: I get I,
3: it. I suppose struggle. if you did a literal translation of the title, like just for English, it would also seem probably equally vague. Mm uh but it's it's a really great title i think for the film itself it's very apt very yes. fitting for the subject matter and uh why I, I won't refer to it by the english name
2: yeah and is obviously a knowing take on a previous cocteau title so cocteau wrote the the novel of which he is most famous for literally speaking um and probably like in the wider zeitgeist because like the phrase is so popular i'm sure the phrase pre-exists the novel but the novel popular to the phrase um, "Les enfants terribles," which i read um last week and enjoyed but did not love um And then I also watched the um, Jean-Pierre Melville um, adaptation from 1950. So a couple of years after this. So he adapted um, Les Enfants Terribles, which was written by Cocteau still. And actually, I read that Cocteau directed at least a scene from it because Melville was ill. So Cocteau took took the camera, so to speak, for a little bit. And Cocteau also has the direction. And it seems that Melville talks about it a bit more charitably every now and then. And then it seems there's just like they were just at each other's throats the whole time we both just wanted the film. And at some point, Melville made the statement of being like, well, if he wants to make the film, he should just made it, then shouldn't he? So it seems that <laughs> it was not a happy marriage of styles. An interesting film, not a great film, but not one for this podcast today. Mm-hmm.
0: Would you say that the film was Leperon Goodley?
2: Leperon <laughs> Le de River is is really, really good, actually. Um, to annoyingly paraphrase a a horrible figure of history which is going to get me um, in trouble and um, oh, Winston no. Churchill um <laughs> like people refer to Churchill's like wilderness years of these two films feel like the Cocteau wilderness years of the here are two mid-career um filmic chapters that are not spoken about and are not really seen people talk about the Orphic trilogy obviously and Beauty and the Beast and that is Cocteau and we'll talk about those because they're brilliant but these two films are more interesting to me as like a, a, a fan of film and of like the edges of films of the ones that get like left over and unseen are really, really brilliant and I've, I've i've liked both of them but genuinely les parents terrible is interesting as an artifact of an unseen work from a very reference filmmaker and it's more interesting because it's very very good
3: mm-hmm. i i certainly agree this is what the podcast here the new direction is all about for me it's mm. you know finding mm-hmm. these films that are otherwise kind of undiscussed, you know, undiscovered and, and kind of lost, you know, in, in, in the pages there and uh, really bringing them to light and, and highlighting them. And I was uh, incredibly impressed with Les Parnes Uh, uh I, I thought it was a wonderful translation of the sense of uh, a stage play to the screen, mm-hmm. which is something I feel so very, very few films get right capturing the sense and the appeal of the, the presidium there and putting it on the, the canvas of the screen. I, I think that's an almost impossible task. i only seen properly translated a handful of times.
0: Mm. It seems so stage bound, but then the claustrophobia, the cinematography and how tied in it is and uh, how it focuses, uh, especially on the characters, the relationships to their uh, setting mm-hmm. and place with each other. Very good, uh, very good stagecraft on camera that I, uh, I, I found uh, incredibly compelling
2: Mm. i mean it's always for me the best works are works that take advantage of the medium they're in which is why they often don't translate very very well like the best books don't work as the best films because they're inherently books and and likewise etc etc and the best plays take advantage of being a play and i think this is really interesting um because i agree with you david like most stage adaptations you're like well why it just feels like people don't go see theater so we made it into a film so it gets more eyes on it but obviously with like art house underseen french cinema that isn't as much as a conversation so it's what is gained from being cinematic and it reminds me of like it's very it's very very different to blood of the Poets. obviously but a conversation around that was how does Cocteau use the physicality of filmmaking as a narrative device um and this reminds me of the brilliance often of when a writer adapts their own work because they understand it. Now, occasionally, that doesn't work because they're too close to it and they can't see the flaws in it, and it leads to some really weird things. I mean, famously, I don't know what your relationship both of you is, is with the novelist Ian McEwan.
0: I know of them. Um, I've um, read something.
2: I really like the novelist Ian McEwen I think he's fantastic. My favourite anecdote about Ian McEwan is, so the, the highest level of high school education is A-levels in, in English and Ian McEwan's daughter was doing A-level English literature and she had to study Atonement for the Ian McEwan novel. So he helped her with her coursework and she did not do very well because the, right, the examiner did not agree with the interpretations of McEwan's work, <laughs> which doesn't surprise me because if you watch the adaptations of McEwen's work, which are often written by him for film, they don't seem to understand the novels. It seems like He's a very, very good novelist, but maybe like, I don't know, like just like this weirdo genius that doesn't really get why he does it very well. And like, I think like on Chesel Beach, I watched the film was like, this film sucks. I read the books like, this is a masterpiece. It's like, how can you know it here and not there? But with the Cocteau film, it's clearly he knows these characters so, so well. And he knows how he was directing it on stage and where he wanted the audience to look. And he uses the camera as like, like a speed run, I guess, like for the audience of like a hundred percent complete run of like look here, look here, look here, look here. Here's where the drama is, here's what the emotion is. And like using the close up, which seems a bit overplayed of being like the cameras in their face the whole time. I've seen critique of this and I get it, but I disagree of he knows how to put a face in a frame and let it emote because it's, it's it's theater acting quite a lot of it. And he knows how to put counterposing faces in a frame and let them emote at each other and knows what part of the body to focus upon. And the backgrounds still feel like stage backgrounds, like the locations feel like they are there to provide a backing and nothing else. But I even like them. Like I like how we have two locations one is the bourgeois house of the family and the other one is the the partner's house. And the only substantial difference is this big window where it's actually more open to the outside world and feels less claustrophobic. And that's an interesting little touch that feels cinematic. So those things I think work so well for it.
3: Uh, yeah, I, I agree with certainly all of those things you're saying. Um, and, and to put more emphasis on the stage aspects of it, particularly the the staging and the, and the set designs and stuff, you you see in the film, again, the film highlights why these are compelling aspects, why the minimal sets, uh, you know, work for the material in tandem. Uh, whereas other stage adaptations often feel kind of like cloistered and, you know, uh, uh, hurt by, by that limitation, uh, of the sets where it feels like, Oh, hmm. they just, you know, plowed a camera down and film what they made on, you know, on the stage. And this doesn't, it's the, it's the opposite of that. It accentuates why minimal sets, why small locations, why intimate scenes, are powerful for the material here you know and uh and again it, it does that and continues on as you said as well through the um abundant usage of close-ups throughout the film there's lots of really powerful close-up shots that Cocteau employs to elevate this above from just you know seeing it as the, the material on stage really highlighting those you know emotional you know like, like severe emotional moments throughout um, particularly, I, I think in the performances of uh, Jean Marais, is you you really get this great depth and range of emotion that his character experiences throughout the films. He he goes from one end of the spectrum to the other uh, at, at various different points, and those close-ups are so vital in highlighting the the, the depth mm-hmm. and disparity of those emotional swings.
2: I love him in this movie, um, mostly because it's it's such a different role for him. And I mean, we know him primarily from um, the cocktail films, obviously from Donkey Skin as well, for those that have seen it. And that's obviously alluding to those. And like trying to avoid like caricaturing him, but like he is seen as being very macho, very masculine and like this large presence and seeing him more theatrical and like leaning into like the camper side of like a personality and the theatricality and seeing that. From him is so different and he does it so, so well. And also, that it reminds you of why the star system works because films rely on your previous expectation of an actor. And when films can use that well, it's such a wonderful experience and it plays on that so well. But also, he is so well cast in the role.
0: I guess, uh, since it is under scene, we might want to explain somewhat about like what the True. actual hook is because uh, I know any parents. listeners have actually seen it. It is about uh, uh terrible parents who uh, uh you know and they're I'd all the pro-
2: storm within really in a turmoil in a turmoil, <laughs> yeah. a turmoil that's all you need to know
0: they're uh they're projecting their own failures of their relationships onto their son who has met a, a new girl who happens to be dating his father
2: and a... uh <laughs> it's so great yeah
3: what, what, what a great turn that yeah. is in the plot that's like it's a, it's a big narrative moment that comes up and you're really hooked and you're like oh we're really in the thick of
0: it now that's really all i want someone <laughs> to know is that uh is that uh they're dating the same person and then uh relationship with his wife is kind of fading well uh the the lady they have in their house he's kind of uh was on on (laughs) with her on and off and will they won't they uh will the wife something happened to her um so
2: and then you've got this aunt that kind of like lives vicariously through every character so therefore wants to be in control like that's the way that she can get power it is very well like it's comedic it's silly and it knows that it's very contrived but it uses that to really focused character dynamics in ways you're like ah i get that that's a very kind of like human power play that's a very human dynamic it understands people and uses them as pawns to show that which wonderful mm-hmm.
3: it's it's incredibly well structured as well yes uh i, I like the way that the, the film bookends the story bookends itself as well particularly with the the, the opening and the uh the, the mother character and uh what she goes through in this but yeah uh, back with the. Uh, Jean Maurice again, uh, particularly the relationship dynamic with the parents. It's something that feels like a a universal, you know, push and pull. This attachment to you know the the children, this unwillingness to let go, and how that in turn creates this you know kind of infantilization. Yes, um, that that characteristic, that buoyant naivete that Jean Maurice displays is you know very overtly very obviously a product of his you know parents' projections onto him and their inability to you know foster growth
1: his
2: friendship with his mum is really interesting. Like the it usage is. of her first name repeatedly of like, they have this very like cultivated dynamic that they even like say is like it's a game. And he talks about how it's like, Oh, in this sphere, we use this and outside of it, we do not actually having read, um, Les terrible, it's really interesting what the different approach they take. They have that same central theme as their focus, which is like arrested development basically of the infantilization of people. And Les enfants terrible is about, children staying infantilized because of a lack of parental figures so the mother dies and the father is not a presence in their lives so they kind of like devolve into each other and it's a it's a brother and a sister and there's like an implied kind of like pseudo-incestuous relationship and they live through through fantasy but like they, they view life as a game and they play these fantastical games and that's the the cocktailian element whereas this gets the same result by over-parenting so it's really nicely that same result of these kind of like fractured repressed like man children or like people children i guess mm-hmm. and that coming from both angles but still the same result but still feeling like very very different texts it doesn't feel like a repeat of the same idea it feels like a filmmaker working out ideas that appeal to them in interesting ways
3: yeah there's a, a, a thematic connectivity between the works there um yeah but uh, in the same vein as the eagle with two heads uh this one again a, a little less Coctoian in its mm. technical approach again very very grounded very you know, un, you know very, very realistic in its uh, events here there's nothing per spectacular there's no special effects so to speak in terms of it here but again it, it goes to show um, it, it, certainly I think more universally we feel here as opposed to the previous one that he Kato doesn't need that bag of tricks mm. to make a compelling story he, he understands you know just how a, a, a drama and a human story, can you know operate and and, uh you know grab an audience and and enrapture them
2: yeah
3: without like diving into the these more heady ideas
2: and for me it's like if i'm trying to make like a i don't know like a taxonomy of what does it mean to be a cocteau film which is like what i really enjoyed about your bogdanovich approach has been like so what does it mean to be a bogdanovich film ultimately Mm -hmm. and if we've got two films out of a six film filmography that are not surrealist it's like well is it right to label him as a purely surrealist? I I don't think so, because like a whole furnace filmography is not. So it's what is the connective cocktail tissue there? And for me, it comes down to this kind of like dry, witty playfulness that he uses surrealism to accentuate. And here he uses character and drama to accentuate. I think that core is the core of his work. I mean, obviously, the Eagle of Two Heads is, is, is a funnier film. And it's more like overtly funny, though this film is very, very funny and like very, very clever, but it's, it's, it's the bon mots. It's the playing with language. And in Blood of a Poet and in the later Orpheus films, he's playing with cinematic language as an extension of that and the bed and the bet as well. But that playfulness of language as a core thing is is core to Cocteau, I think for me, at least.
3: I think I think you're right on there. I think that's a really great through line to connect them with that again is not necessarily apparent if you if you just look at them on strict comparisons you definitely have to find the 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 tissue in there but i think that's as as good as one as i can point out
0: i think even in his fantasy films i might say that um he he could be a fantastical realist um his Mm. ideas are always meant to be literal um you might look at them and be like well that's a that's a metaphor but um you could read them very literally like you can't really miss. means when he when he shows something um it's it's pretty clear he'll usually tell you what it means um so he he is always there is like always this element of realism not necessarily in the ideas because uh beauty and the beast is fantastical of course but uh Mm. but in the approach and how it's shot and uh the way that it's handled and honored i think because the fantasy is honored in a way that it usually wouldn't be in like a a more fanciful approach than uh, is. I, I think he is able to to show it as realistically um, in a way that you buy into it and you you approach it as like this is a thing I accept as a reality of the screen. I, I, I
2: think, think that's so astute um, because I feel that I mean as, as someone that dabbles in the teaching of literature occasionally like you delve into how do we pick apart metaphor and I feel like a thing that is missed so much is surface is important like the meaning of the metaphor, the deeper meaning, if that was the only thing that mattered, they would have just said that. So the actual kind of like imagist surface of this is brilliant. Do take it literally first, deal with why is it this thing? And then you can go into that. So yeah, that's such a good point, Calvin.
3: I think it's important to point out as well that sometimes Concteau does just come out and say, this is what I mean. This is what I want. This is what I do. Like that's the case in the beginning of a number of his films. You know, They have Mm. a forward that just says, Take this to mean it this way. This is what I'm intending with this, you know, like literally just kind of like stripping away that that barrier of artifice for a moment just to engage with it and say, I'm presenting my art to you, and this is you know the idea behind it.
0: I think I if like we don't it. I don't think if we if we don't take him at surface level, I think we're almost missing the point yeah. of what he wants. Yeah. Um yeah. at least at first. We could always extrapolate later, as as Steven says, but I think we have to unpack the the uh Images, meaning behind it first, and then yeah. we'll get to. We don't even have to get to what the metaphors mean. Um, I don't think his works so, work that you way.
3: Address the storm on the surface
0: before you. Get that. <laughs> mm, but but
3: but but cut down. Um, but that but,
2: that's 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 the beauty of surrealist art, though. And obviously, his surrealism extends beyond just like literally surrealist imagery of being like just being evocative is, a, is, is is enough and is good, of like, it yes. needs to be internally interesting to so then want you to look under it, or it needs to provide that wonderful feeling of there's something here, even if I can't grasp onto it. The feeling of depth is as important as depth, and if, if you can make surface substance, if you can make surface feel substantial, that's like the true alchemy of cinema.
3: That, that was definitely something that I felt most significantly when it was with uh, Blood of a Poet in particular, where mm. it's like there, there's a lot here certainly and i don't necessarily i'm not absorbing necessarily all of it but it is making me feel something it's, I'm, I'm having a reaction to this and it's evoking a feeling and that is effective in and of itself
1: in
0: hindsight it's not my favorite film but i think it's the one that i've reacted to strongest mm. and and had the biggest emotional journey with uh
2: well a lot of I'm going to be different. Um, I mean, okay. there's one film here that I had the strongest emotional reaction to, but we'll get to that one later because it's one that I revisited and was not hugely hot on on the first time I watched it, but on revisit, I found it very, very impactful, but we'll maybe get to that one later.
0: Should we get to uh, the second of the Orphe uh, trilogy here? Um, yeah. Mm. Uh, Orpheus. Orpheus. Yeah, just Orpheus. Yes.
3: Just straight up Orpheus.
2: Not Orphe me, Orpheus.
3: <laughs> I, I think of, of the three, this one's definitely the most you know traditional mo- most comparable in terms of like yeah. actually being an, an orpheus story like like the connection there is is
2: yeah, it's it's, it's literally the mind. story of yeah. orpheus like it yeah, just does yeah. it and it, it updates it wonderfully but yeah it is it is the orpheus myth mm-hmm.
3: and uh, again more in the tradition of the kind of fantastical you know depictions uh and, and very much in the same vein as blood of a poet we got a lot of the re- repetitions revisions of the mm. same Cinematic trickery he did in in that film with the mirrors and such, and the reverse photography, the the tilted oh, angles. So
2: much reverse stuff in this, and it's always brilliant. I mean, even more in Testament of obvious and just like every time it works, and I love it.
3: The the one that sticks in my mind in particular is is kind of just this, the very odd one. It's just the glove for whatever reason. Uh, how how it, him putting on the glove is mm. just, just the reverse of that, and it's this again very odd, but you know not entirely out of the realm of you know re- reality here so it, it it just looks so slightly off as to be so be, to be perfect be yeah
2: i paused it and i turned my laptop around to emma who was just like sat and went. wetness she was like you just like you just need to see this one scene i was like there's an effect here you'll see how it's done you'll get how it's done but it's just really really cool we just like talked about it afterwards i've been like it wants you to know that this glove is magic this glove is slightly slightly strange how do we convey that while still making it clear a person is putting a glove on and just by the it coming off is different to it coming on. So then playing that backwards, it's just you're right. It's so slightly off, but still so exactly what it needs to be. It's also magic glove cinema seems to be the cinema of Cocteau. Man loves yeah, his magic yeah. gloves. Um, like like gloves. if, if no, but even in Testament of Orpheus, when like the person disappears and goes, oh, got to come back to get the glove. Like you're like oh, hey, right, that's right. a that's a nod for you fans out there. Like uh, yeah, these the, the little bits of reverse footage just to make something look almost imperceptibly strange of just like that's not quite right just adds that that again the movie magic which again
0: so it's more magical but it's also more realistic again because you feel the rubberness of the glove mm. when it goes on backward uh, you feel like the stretchy rubbery rubbery quality right. it defies gravity it it's, it's yeah. not
2: right that's not how physics works mm-hmm. not quite how physics works Ah, oh, wonderful
1: right
3: and again, it's, it's it's the simplicity of the trick that makes it so mm. like like kind of enticing and because c- watching it like you're very aware of, of what the trick is, you know. Yeah. I think even for for a novice they could tell that oh, you just reversed the footage, it's just a reverse of that there. But again, the the, the effect of it is so convincing and so compelling that <laughs> we can spend five minutes just talking about the glove here.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean so 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 David, you'd watched Orpheus before. Calvin, had you watched Orpheus before? No, no. What did you think of it? I'm less
0: sold than on Blood of a Poet. Uh, oh, I
2: love it. I really, really love this one. There's this is so much for the trilogy, reverse definitely. and
0: going into the zone. And again, it's literalizing all these themes. And uh, I, I guess I got tired of these next two. But uh, uh, maybe I was uh, more interested in another approach after Labor. And
1: mm. so...
3: I, I like this film. Uh, I, I like it a lot for what what does and its updating of the myth, its interpretation of the myth, and of course the way that it does the the effects and everything. But materially I just feel like I, I don't connect with it as much. Particularly I feel like the, the narrative core of it uh, is is not as strong as it should be for the story. I'm not invested in in what is supposed to be the central compelling relationship. I'm not invested in the character of Orpheus here as much as I feel like I should be. Uh, And, and so, whereas with, with blood of a poet, it's, you know, more disjointed Mm. and and basically narratively, you know, absent uh, it's, it's stronger because it leans into just the, the, the depictions and the, you know, the imagery and the surrealism and the sensation, whereas this tries to do the blend of that. And it, it's just, not quite as successful for me, even though I think technically I'm I'm more compelled by it, certainly for, for a number of certain sequences.
0: I think a lot of I, the visual cues and, and the trickery here is uh, at an all time high. It's just, I also agree that I'm not attached to it in any particular way.
2: I'm going to make my stringent defense of Orpheus then. Like, it is a two-layered defense. It was on my first viewing, I had one layer white appeared. On my second viewing, actually, thanks to you people of actually exploring more about Cocteau, I have another reason to love it. And I actually like it a lot more now, and I already, really, really loved it. But again, self-parody. Like, for me, Cocteau is... The closest film has got to Keats, um, to mm. to Keats the poet, uh, which actually Calvin, as you've watched, "Marry Me" recently. How amused were you <laughs> when they used like Keats as shorthand for literature? And there's a uh, bit in the film "Marry Me" for those who've not seen "Marry Me," where someone just picks up a book and goes, "Ah, Keats, your friend." Because like, there's no book just called Keats. Damn it, Keats is a poet. <laughs> I was like, not ah, amused. By the way, Keats, like Keats. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what's even funnier? Do you know what Keats's first collection of poets of poetry was called? Keats. Yeah. No poems. Like, you can just say, yes. this is poems by Keats, and that'll be a fun show. And I'm like, ah, I see you've got Keats by Keats. Oh, God damn, that movie sucks. Um, yeah, it does. But the thing about Keats that I love is, like, he says his odes. And this film, Orpheus, reminds me of two specific odes that are very, very similar and very, very beautiful. Um, Ode to a Nightingale and Ode on Melancholy. And both of these odes are, to different extents, about being in touch with your emotions And realizing that life is overwhelming and horrible and depressing and knowing that we want to escape from it sometimes, but that can be its own kind of problem um, that we can get lost in flights of fantasy that separate us from the real world. And the real world is a very important thing to engage with. Um, Shelley, Percy Shelley, the romantic poet, also dealt with that, but in a more political way. So in Odin and Nightingale, he thinks about how the world itself brings one down yet the nightingale that has sung through mythology and sung through time as a beautiful sound and only we could be immortal like that so he transcends to its zone the zone of pure imagination gets lost there gets drunk on it and gets confused and that is obvious that's the idea of being like i find this temptress of death and i follow them and it takes me away from mortality and it's so wonderful and different and strange and weird and i get lost there and then i can't appreciate reality anymore and odon melancholy is the same of being like i long for death i long for release because it's sweet and because it's wonderful but that is self-destructive and that is not a way to live one's life and it understands that so beautifully and again the keats refrain that I go back to is that um that we know the rainbow idea the explain the rainbow which again goes to the idea of like like philosophers dull things the explaining dull things and orpheus has this repeated refrain of don't try to understand don't explain just let things be experiential So that was what appeared to me the first time. The second time the specific symbolism really stood out to me and there are two bits of symbolism I think are really, really important. Um, I love the touch of bringing office to the modern day and you have the fun like poetry cafe at the beginning which is funny I think the lines of the film are very very funny, and very very witty and it reminds me that the French dispatch sucks um, which I put in my notes and set across <laughs> because it's, it, it gets that like, it gets that tone that the middle chapter of French Dispatch just fails at completely of feeling intellectual and clever. What's also feeling playful? Um, but you've got the bikers and I love the bikers because the bikers are coded as like fascist police. Um, and that's a really interesting touch. And then what's more interesting is the afterlife is coded like um, desecrated War on France. And now knowing more about Cocteau a film about someone wanting to escape into imagination and escape into poetry was there as a backdrop of fascism and occupation and the war seems confessional to me. It seems like really, really self-aware, especially coming out after the beauty of the beast. It's that sense of Cocteau, admitting, or at least owning up to in an allegorical way, his complicity in something of his wants to get carried away by the Nightingale and not engage with the reality of France, the reality of occupation. Um, Again, watch The Sorrow and the Pity if you've got a spare five hours. Um, And instead... When you see like that harsh reality presented there and the bureaucratic nature when you get that judgment scene at the end that is is, is bureaucratic and it goes for it too long but like the bureaucracy of it is really powerful and important it goes over even way too long in the next movie but we'll get to that um but that stuff works so well for me now and i really really appreciated it
0: my further research about like the resistance of Kako is that maybe he hid from uh, some of the consequences with his homosexuality out of fear of what uh, Nazis did to people like him, but also that uh, the resistance and Murray, who was in it, who was also his lover, was a. They uh, said he was a little bit of a gossip, and they refused to let him in. So um, uh, his,
2: <laughs> his chances so
0: is, he was a little bit too fabulous for the uh, resistance to the
2: Nazis. <laughs> oh my god, I've been I've been reading a um. This, this sounds like a crude comparison, to Paul does. I've been reading a John Waters memoir recently, when he was he's talking about his activism and how performative it is, and he talked about his like his past. As a political activist. And he said he was always out on the fringe, on the fringe and like fabulous side of it of like the ones who want to just like just have fun. And he says they were described as groucho Marxists, the ones that were just like <laughs> pissing <laughs> about and just being stupid, rather than actually being involved in praxis. I was like, Oh, that's so funny. Love that so much.
0: Very good. <laughs> that's funny.
3: That was that was some uh, really inspiteful uh readings I think you had there on uh Cocteau, Stephen. Uh and and I-, I think it really opens up my my eyes to the perspective of that. I see that uh, when you speak that, particularly when you when you talk about uh, w- within the confines of the material itself um, uh, for the first reading that that you expressed, and how this this fascination with uh, death and this distraction from reality, getting away from that, and and I see that in in the material. Uh, I see that allure, particularly I think the the, the fixation with death. I think it mm. is. Uh, a, a prominent theme for Cocteau that crops up here m- if not the most prominently then second most prominently uh, of his films um, and that I feel like is the stronger relationship, the stronger component of the film That I guess the part that works for me less is the contrast with reality yeah. and the need to to engage with that particularly again because it's represented through the relationship with uh, Eurydice um, and uh, that component if it, it uh, I, if it doesn't work for me I feel like like the whole core of the movie is, yeah. is 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 not functioning like like because if that's the compelling factor for him if that's what he needs to get back I need to believe his investment in in that relationship and if I don't feel like it's founded then you know i'm I'm not as engaged with it you know mostly I'm, I'm not as immersed into the, mm-hmm. the events or what's going on and so i'm i'm taking things then just kind of as they come and and uh, in a very kind of functional manner, not in an, uh, you know, invest, investing emotional manner. But uh, the, the underworld itself and the bureaucracy of how it's conducted and everything, uh, the character of Death in particular, I think, is one of the more fascinating of the mm. film, more compelling in terms of interpretations uh, in media. And again, just, just the kind of going about the underworld in total. Uh the, the things that stick out in my mind are the, the the fantastical imagery probably more than anything else. I mentioned the glove already. Obviously the the, the, the mirror bit is yeah. you know well known. But maybe more than all of those is the kind of transcendence into the underworld and the interesting uh use of of projected background i think is is particularly interesting the inherent utilizing the inherent artifice of projected uh you know uh, screens like that to create a disconnect a dissonance between the character in the foreground and the background and uh, so to give one of them a more floating kind of feeling yeah uh, you know is, is being more you know immersed into that world than, than jim reese's character the, those are often the things that stand out to me most about the film. I guess, like again, like you know, te- technically, I, I feel very compelled by it, but materially mm. less
2: so. That's that's totally fair. I I, yeah. I really like that 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 comment about like the, the backdrop stuff because I feel that that only adds into this world that he's so fascinated by, feeling so false. Whereas I love the idea of setting off to the present day if it makes it feel much more real. But but you're right. I think like it being a fast comedy at points doesn't really help it. Though I do love the the. The can't look back sequence is just so amusing to me. I love it so much. Of just like pissed off um, Orpheus being like, I just can't move around anywhere in my house. If I look around, I might just see my wife and she might just die. I love that just building up to, he just looks his rearview mirror and just kills her. It's just like, it's just so brilliant. It's so silly. It's so wonderful. It's such an, a, a perfect little sequence. Oh, I love, I love that. it
0: so much. I love the most, I think a lot of the homoeroticism of it, the framing of the characters mm. and, especially around like the death of the wife and you how he's relating to the other man and they uh, uh, a very very charged movie uh sexually mm. too so
2: i like the other dude a lot i do really like the occasional his name
0: yeah but very the good occasional
2: touches into um sadness and melancholy again the bit when i mean his fascination with with the wife is really interesting because you have like humanity longing for death and then death longing for life is a really good classic structure of it showing that no one has it right that to live is to struggle but to die is to struggle and that no one is quite on the right side of things but that bit when he's just like talking normally and then he just talks about how he took his own life is a really just like suddenly very very powerful moment that does a lot for that character i feel there's there's a lot of unspoken depth to that character that i like that it remains unspoken and i like them returning in the next film they're just a very compellingly enigmatic screen presence. There's just more to say in a way that I'm glad that remains unsaid.
0: You may be selling me on uh, on some of the reservations I had. I think, I, I think I'm think i pretty sold on this being the the one over the next one. So uh, I, but also Melville in this, since we mentioned him earlier, he's a, mm. plays a hotel manager, I think in, in this one, is that correct?
2: Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't pick him up because, I mean, you know, I'm a fake cinema fan and don't know okay. what Marvel looks like. He's in so, one of these like, as a
0: hotel manager. I know that. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. I've seen I, the vast majority of Marvel's movies, I think, <laughs> but again, don't know him by sight, but love him.
3: Uh, also, just as a final point for Orpheus, uh, again, I think um, every, everything said about it is, is you know, really correct. You're, you know, spot on the money. Uh,
1: Spot
2: on the money, yeah. Okay. That's, that, that, that's, <laughs> yes. that. so that's what we say, spot on the money. When
0: you have the spot on the money. That...
2: Got to spot that money, put the Queen. Yeah. Is the Queen on your money? She should be. Uh,
3: You're going to throw me off now. <laughs> Don't even remember what I was going to say.
0: Lots of, lots of Queens with those old... Uh, I just heard the bit where addresses. you said I was
2: right, and that's enough for me.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I think... You're, you're, you're right about it but if oh, there's yeah I, th- I think Cal and I definitely felt a just a, a, a disconnect with the, the execution of it like it just didn't mm-hmm. penetrate it didn't come through for us and I don't know if that's because of a lack of, of context you know for us for, from a, a kind of wider comparison or, or spectrum or if there's just something that was missing in the direction of this yeah. one that made I it mean, a
2: little more obtuse you well, should
0: listen to the intro where I call it orfe I lack a lot of context
2: so. <laughs> Well, if you thought Orpheus or Orfe was obtuse, well, do we have a more (laughs) obtuse movie for you next? It's like, hey, hey guys, which seems like clinically designed to be like, oh, some people thought my previous movie was a bit like out there and explain itself. How about if I just don't? (laughs) I love it. I love it. I really, I, I, was I the only person that's seen this one before?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen either of these, any of these. So.
2: This one benefited, as I'm sure is unsurprising Benefited from a rewatch A while later <laughs> a Well like, for me,
0: like, that's no. for sure uh, That's yeah, for I, damn sure, because I, I was sick this weekend I I don't <laughs> remember I mean, these is. last two movies Honestly, like they're both the blur Of, of Cocteau and you know I, i I don't
2: know that sounds almost right i was speaking to um friend of the show para today about peter strickland the filmmaker and i remember this this lovely anecdote peter strickland of talking about the sound design in a razorhead and he said the first time we saw a razorhead he fell asleep halfway through it and woke up confused and thought that was the best way to watch the movie
0: (laughs) i fell asleep three (laughs) times watching orpheus by the way uh so i had to restart the movie four times um good great way yeah
3: Yep. they're they're that's the best way to experience them, yeah. right? <laughs> as dreamlike as possible. Mm, I, I I like Testament of Orpheus in some ways and I don't in a number of others. The the main thing I'll say is that I, I have a lot of respect for it and I I appreciate it as a a personal piece. Mm. This feels like a very personal, kind of singular, you know, execution of, of art for the sake of, of the artist, for the yes. sake of Cocteau here and kind of very explicitly he even states that you know he you know he hopes people like it but you know he's, he's apologetic if they don't <laughs> yeah. yeah but i love that, that so though. much it's, it's so it's brilliant, great. and and that you know that appeals to me more about that that makes the film more appealing than that you know this kind of like boldness of just throwing it out there and saying you know this is me you know this is an expression of you know myself I here almost i don't
0: I don't think I could dislike it with that premise that you just laid out. I mean, yeah. that's that's a beautiful yeah. premise to okay. me. If if someone says that in front of any film, I'll be like, yeah, I, yeah they got what they wanted. I'm fine, you know? But yeah.
3: I think it's even more especially powerful when Cocteau makes himself quite literally the central figure. I
2: lo- of, I just love that. that. I think that's I so <laughs> smart. I, generally, I agree with you so fully, and to, to a great extent, and every moment that known monster Pablo Picasso is not on screen, it's just <laughs> wonderful. <laughs>
3: So, so all but like ten seconds, I guess. Yeah. So ten
2: yeah. seconds of dross, just like ten <laughs> seconds of boo. <laughs> um, hmm. It's how, how do you even describe this film?
3: I guess that's
2: that's where you. The, I just call it the death of the poet, and just, okay. yeah, 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 which would be a better name actually, um, like blood of a poet, death of a poet. Um, I don't know. I, I need to have my timeline correct. Of I, I need. To, I should be a better um, literary scholar, but. Um, I mean, Roland Barthes comes to mind, and I forget. Someone has to have to quickly Google for me um, when Roland Barthes wrote Death of the Poet. um, Death of the Author, sorry. um, Because this seems like so in dialogue with that idea. It really um, does. So, so in dialogue. To the extent that it talks about it, I think, almost directly. So it it seems like it's directly citing it because it talks about how um, books kill their authors. If not, then
0: I feel like that's citing this. But let's find out from David.
3: The Death of the Author... Uh, death of the author is a 1967
2: essay oh so interesting okay so, wow so this
3: this predates it by seven mm.
2: years.
0: that's what i had that's- running through my head the whole movie is that this is death of the author this is like setting mm. those themes into motion and i i hoped it would be later that book or the the essay excuse me so that, that.
2: That's, that's so interesting because it is is so that because i love I, I really this time though i think as a as a film it is deeply flawed and as a film i do not love it as a thing that exists in the world i really love it and i have so much time for it as just like an experience of this this two-sided debate about what is it that matters is it the person that produces the work that matters and only that or is it the work that matters in spite of that am i putting the producer of the work at the heart of the work and allowing them to interrogate and talk about how it doesn't matter is just, is so fruitful. And I loved it doesn't actually come down on either side of it because it allows itself to speak independently of that, of, and my favourite scene in the entire movie, apart from the ending, which I think is perfect, I think the last 10 minutes of this film are just hauntingly, spectacularly perfect in the way that like, legitimizes everything. I was like, no, this is like, at least like four star movie. I, I, I love it. That last 10 minutes is just, Astonishing. But the bit before that, that is again perfect, is when Cocteau is drawing a flower um on, on a whiteboard, on a blackboard, sorry, and it goes back to that lovely motif in his in his movies of the like chalk on a blackboard being done with time-lapse photography. And he tries to draw a flower and just draws himself. And that core metaphor, and again, it's all surface. So to get with Cameron's idea of it's just the clearest way of saying when you try and do art. All you do is show yourself. And him being there in his film, him referring to his previous film, he's a character of Morpheus, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff is so personal and so brilliant. And so exactly what I want out of experimental film. That's what I want. Exactly what I want. Okay,
3: speak, speaking of the, the chalkboard, did you guys notice the signature was different this time?
0: You no, this no. Time?
3: So... Whenever Cocteau signs his name, which you, you you might have picked up on this, he does a, a star. There's a star mm. alongside his name. And here in Testament of Orpheus in the beginning, he made an asterisk. He didn't do a star. And that mm. felt different. That, that felt very, like, pointed and, and kind of, like, final, you know, to mm. me, for sure. It, it felt kind of like a, like an end, for, for sure. It's, and... and that was something that I, I realized I would not have picked up on if I just watched this, you know, kind of as a yeah. standalone experience. I don't know if this film works as a standalone No, experience. no, it, it definitely does not. This, this is. <laughs> I don't know
2: what I think. Great, <laughs> yeah. It's I, such a great final statement. It's so just like this wonderful confessional piece. I, I really appreciate it. And the first time I, the first time I watched it as my very short Let's Watch review attest to it being like, this is interesting, but it seems so insular. I don't get it. Um, and that's fine. And the second time I'm like, I knew what I was going in for. And I just, I felt, I felt really emotionally overwhelmed by it. And I felt really, really touched by it. I felt like I'd gone on a journey with it and ended up somewhere. Um, And there were bits of it that I managed to coalesce my experience more. I mean, I've been alluded to to, to this a few times, but there was another scene in this that I showed to Emma because it was so core to things that she is directly studying and researching. So there is an amazing, this amazing set that comes up twice of this like, old building i don't know what period it is or like what architecture is but it's, it's so fascinating and it just seems like so old it seems like hellenistic of a time before and it's just covered in clearly very modern graffiti very very modern graffiti and we're just not used to seeing sets like that being that mix of the old and the new And for those that don't know, my my partner, Emma, is a PhD researcher and her her area of research is on graffiti and heritage sites and what that means. So therefore, I'm so ultra sensitive, nowhere near to the extent that she is. And and I don't know enough about it, really, but it makes you think about it. Um, And to me, this film is so much about legacy and enduring over time and what it means to still keep existing and having Cocteau there. In front of these old stones that people have put love hearts on and their names on and have wanted to inscribe themselves into to be passed forward of that being their testament and this as a, like an act of filmic graffiti that is just like this every time of maybe you don't know why someone did it but you know they did did it they did do it and they wanted to leave their mark there somewhere and wanted to persist and it meant something to them and they still felt that they their insular message was worth sharing with everybody else it wasn't understood because the gesture is what's important and that core relationship, even if unintended is such an interesting dynamic of the backdrop and the foreground. And it's part of the, so many things this film that just seem so special and unique.
3: Yeah, I, I I think so too. Uh, Again, I, I I saw the film as well in this, as in addition to everything is, is, is an expression. It's also a kind of a, you know, an, an, an attempt to enshrine a kind of legacy, a, a kind of uh, everlasting, you know, life for himself in, you mm-hmm. know, th- through his art, he, he preserve, you know, preserving his, his image and his person and his identity in the film, you know, as a kind of chronicle for, for the future, this last testament, so to speak, you know, for the future, because there's very, the, going in, there's this very obviously there's a very intentional final finality to it like going in that this is the last thing that i'm going to do and it it, it kind of was you know he, he only passed i think like three years after he made the film
1: mm-hmm.
3: so it, it everything about it really feels like this this last you know perspective you know uh, last chance to say something about the world to to encapsulate Everything that you know, and his experience and his ideas in in kind of this one final, you know, uh document for for all of time, because uh, or at least as long as preservation persists, mm. you know, as long as art, you know, continues to be, you know, to exist. But I I, I think he does care about the, the preservation of, of film, you know, and and, and yeah. the everlasting, the eternity of film as a medium. You know, he felt compelled enough to adapt two of his stage plays you know in, in film to be preserved to save those performances
2: that's forever. such an interesting observation i think you're so right actually that idea of like well why do that then and, and 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 you're right it's that sense of like he's written novels and those novels will still be read and exist in their form whereas i mean as we all know reading a play script there are so many plays that i've only ever read as play scripts and i know i'm missing out like i read just a couple of weeks ago i went to see a an adaptation of ibsen's adult house and that's a, a, a play that i've read and been like this play was fine to read, but I feel like I'm missing everything because, like, I mentioned, this big except on stage. And as a play script, it's okay. Unfortunately, the, the adaptation I saw was like this, like, very like it was a modern like rewriting stuff. So it, was, it, it still felt similarly flawed. But that sense of knowing the medium of my films will be films and so can carry on, and that play will be lost to time, and like a human voice, the radio play, but like what will happen with that and updating it. So yeah, like the how do you establish a legacy? And I love that this mentions it works. I actually wish it was more of that. I wish this was more meta and exploratory. I wish it dipped more into his work. Once he's directly conversed with Orpheus, and I get that it's Orpheus 2 Testament of Orpheus, but once it's just like, here's a character from a film, I'm like, do more of that. Like, bring in more of those things. Make it more obviously insular. Make it more far-reaching. And I think then that will be a transcendent work. And what we have here is a fascinating work, but I don't think it's transcendent.
3: I think so, too. Um, I I think the big thing that compels about me ultimately is just that I also just think Cocteau is really compelling on screen. Mm. I, I think he's very, yeah. uh, he, he comes across very personally, very, you know, hu- humorous, you know, uh, but also very, you know, kind of like, like um, reflexive and, you know, very knowing of himself, you know, um, to, to a point that he can, you know, kind of poke at that as well, but uh, poke in both the sense that he's, you know, prodding it for a comedy, but also, you know, to investigate the these ideas and to kind of express himself fully on, on screen um so, so sometimes just you know I'm, I'm just compelled by him as a person mm-hmm. seeing him here and i'm thankful for that for for the preservation of him as as a physical being on screen and as a personality so and getting to see that and capturing that in this last film this last role is uh really neat because it's not something we've seen in his films otherwise no. you know we, we get the sense of him only through his works prior to now so the, the actual human being to see and to kind of get a better understanding of grip on is, is is really nice. And I, and I very much appreciate and respect that from him.
0: I really am endeared to um, how he looks, uh, who he is, what he makes. Um, that's all very endearing to me. And I think it's time for us to leave our Testament of Kako. Why didn't we name the series that? That would have been fine. Um, <laughs> the rest is literature. Let's uh, let's do our rankings.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the rest is rankings the rest is
0: rankings
3: so should we uh, start from the, the beginning and go from go the bottom
2: on? to the top you, you want to go in reverse mm-hmm. if David you know, Byrne said it it must be true
0: now do we all remember our ranking from last time
2: <laughs> well, yeah, oh, we were yeah. we were in unanimous agreement we we're in yes. unanimous agreement yeah, um, it, David's favorite film of all time The Eagle of Two Heads um, <laughs> yes in a number bottom. three yep. blood of a poet in a number two a new entry and number one La Belle and la bet. Beauty and the Beast.
0: Also, a new entry. Uh, new
2: entry. Yeah. New entry. First Let's put uh,
0: three new entries in there. Yeah. Uh, Laperote Replay goes. Uh, well, we all like it, don't we? I don't think it's mm. at the bottom.
2: No, no, no. no. I, I, I think even David prefers it to his favorite film of all time.
3: Yes, uh, I do. It's my my new favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I Very good. Ge- uh. Genuinely, though uh I, I think this was an incredible discovery for me mm. like it was it was a very instantaneous favorite again I, I put it on a shelf with only like a handful of other films where i was like this is what it feels like to watch a film on the this stage this, this film understands that and is a great translation of it without feeling yeah bound I agree. to the stage and it's also just like a really compelling narrative and full of fantastic all-time performances i think from the whole cast mm. it's just very tight and, and wonderful I, I love it and so and funny, much. yeah, yeah. It's ev- everything I kind of want from a movie. Really, mm. sans a, a stunning beast in lavish costumes.
2: <laughs> One more magical glove in this film, and it's at the top. You know, yeah, yeah. I... But that is limiting. There is not a magic glove.
0: No, very little reverse photography.
2: Mm, maybe we should put some in i mean we could just do that we could
3: (laughs) the the, the twin geeks re-edit
2: yeah i mean where do you want to david where do you want to put it
3: i i want to put it below beauty and the beast and no further
2: i thought i thought you would calvin where do you want to put it i want to put it
0: below blood of a poet and above uh, david's favorite movie second favorite movie
2: yeah i I, I mean, personally, I agree with Calvin.
0: Um, in the nature of what David says, the podcast is about, which I agree with, it's about discovering these lost artifacts. I could see the, the argument to putting it above. But uh, but then I will have trouble ranking the others that we need to put yeah, in. My, that's where, I, think what, my problem that's where is, I come down is that how do I rank the other two we have to put in if I put this yeah. above blood?
2: Well, that, that, that's my issue is ultimately I think I'm much more favorable to the next two films than you are. So for me, it makes sense to put this above Blood of the Poet because I'm putting the next two films above that. But I realise that no one else here is doing <laughs> yes. that. So,
0: so that puts all effort. those films down at the bottom of the list. If we put this up there, um, that's hard so, for me to. So.
2: so I think I'm going to have to like give in my like my great love of Orpheus and great love of Testament of Orpheus um, and realize they're probably going to end up below these horrible parents. Uh, and say that yeah, it's going to be horrible. Parents in three, I think the the third horrible parents.
3: All right, I guess I can I can live with that because I know that Calvin and I are going to be more in tune for the next couple of years. But yeah, uh, yeah, just just as a as a final statement to the viewer, please or listener, definitely check out Spirits mm. Ribas. It's it's uh, so good, incredible, su- surprisingly
0: immaculate film it's going in third because all these are good um
2: yeah they're already good moves you may follow some of the letterbox that's given this two stars ignore them except
0: <laughs> for uh Orfe, which we're putting at the bottom um because david and i are on the same team now what? and and because he no. helped me with the, that last project no. i want to put this uh, at the no, very bottom no. below the eagle with two heads
2: no i are uh, man Orpheus should be in second and i'm being nice to you people we're not putting it last <laughs> That's wild.
0: I, again, Steve, these are all good movies, uh, or fake to be I, I at the bottom. Oh,
2: like Jean Cocteau's office. I hate to be Mister Canon here, Mister like film Canon, but come on, this is.
1: Oh.
0: Please don't let the Canon determine how you view you right. movies. Maybe Steve.
2: this is the last. Maybe this is the last picture show. The film I've still not seen because Calvin hates it. Um. Uh, you office know, I, is, should be number two. Office is Cocteau's second best movie. It's so good.
3: I appreciate you so much here, Calvin, but I. I do want to defer a bit to Stephen on this one. I I do love the Eagle with Two Heads more than it's I your probably favorite movie. should. It's, just, it's your yeah. literal favorite more, film, more than I probably should. But again, like like coming back to it, I do think that you know our, our conversations last time did highlight the, the kind of
2: emptiness of it. Like mm, love it, is more important than politics. Or yeah. Orpheus at least has stopped making sense. You know, you know. <laughs>
0: Orpheus has, like, that, that women group that seems really misogynistic and irresponsible. Uh, well, I'm not if you sure about cared that. about
2: that, um, why didn't you mention that earlier? All right.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I wanted to, you know, save it for the rankings. It's, I,
3: it's I, important I detail. Not, you're not more... wrong.
2: You're very, very correct, Gavin, and that's why it's annoying. <laughs> the,
3: the film is also just more inherently cocktail You know, mm. it, it just definitely speaks more to the, the kind of thing he's interested in and is more demonstrative of, you know, oh what he God. excels at.
2: David, imagine if a friend of yours was just like, oh, I want to get out of cocktail," and you went, watch this movie called The Eagle with Two Heads, and they're like, I don't <laughs> like you, <laughs> It just never.
0: You, you're right, but, right. Right. I mean, you're so, right about that.
3: So I, I think putting Orpheus
0: just above Eagle with Two Heads. Second yes. to last would be, I mean, that's kind of second. There you go.
2: We, we both get it in the second position we want it to be in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So below the uh, the terrible parents uh, yes. is or
2: parents <laughs> is very very good. It's
0: well, I'm, very, I'm very just good. very amused by that because because that's not how it was supposed to go. So uh, no, this next one, um, I'm I'm a little higher on actually.
2: So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, is, oh, yeah. whatever. Like okay, at this point, who cares? Like whatever. <laughs> two, I, don't, like, I don't care. Like, Screw it. Let's just reverse the list. You know what? <laughs> Beat the Beast, probably the worst. Yeah, everyone's uh, already seen it. Disney put songs <laughs> like, I don't know. Movies, watch them all. Well, I'm, I'm curious to know,
3: like, Stephen, where would you have put <laughs> Estimate of Orpheus in a list yourself?
2: I would have gone um, Beat the Beast, number one, because it's an um, unparalleled masterpiece. Orpheus, then. I've not really thought then it's either for me testament or blood of poet I've not really thought about it um and I'd need to think more about it I think realistically I would probably put testament above blood of poet because I think it's it's more special I think that testament is a such a unique and wonderful and brilliantly insular film and blood of poet is this brilliant poetry on film thing but doesn't sit with me and live with me in the same way that Testament does.
1: Yeah, I, I,
3: I can see that. Testament has stayed with me a surprising amount more than I expected, mm. but I think it's more so because of Cocteau himself. Yes, and less because of like, like any particular moment or scene, any anything that came across in a particular way, any emotion I felt watching it. I, I was more taken with with Cocteau and the very kind of like you know open way that, that he was expressing himself there yeah but but more him as an individual as opposed to him within the film.
2: Yeah. I'm very aware that I love Testament because of the film it makes me think of more than the film that it is. And I'm, I'm very aware that that's what I'm praising you for. It makes me think of a better film than it is. And it makes me, the ideas it percolates with, it doesn't explore in the film, but it makes me explore my mind. And I've often critiqued others for being like, who who jumped to films on being like, yeah, but the film doesn't actually do that. You're doing right. that because you're smart and you're picking things out. And I'm doing that to this film. I'm bringing a lot to it that it inspires in me, but is not inherently in the work. And that, that, that is true. But you're also not...
3: highlighting the things that are inherent to the work and that right. are strong and make it very individual and i think that's the movie's biggest strength above anything mm. is that this is a singular work there there's nothing like this oh, the, and it's the, bit very at the end with the personal. bikers
2: that the police is just such a wonderful touch of he thinks that this thing from his film and they're not the thing from his film that his art does not exist in this world and there's separation like there's just i don't know like if, if i wanted to like Teach a class on one of these films. I'd pick Testament of just being like, let's pick apart these these moments, and like every third line is something so brilliant and evocative, and then there's like filmic touches. It's it's it is such a cool film. It's so cool.
3: But but and it's funny. As, I think as well, it's important to consider as well that it it's not a film that works like a, in a vacuum on on its own no. terms. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is entirely dependent on your attachment to and awareness of all of concto's previous films him as a person i'm sure also to an extent his works outside of film um and and just even as far as we've come having you know sat Mm. down watched all of these films and compared them together there's still a fraction of us here who feel a an inherent disconnect with everything that's being said in the movie we were able to absorb it to an extent but still walk away feeling a bit hazy on on the whole
0: matter of this there's a lot of cocktail that that i haven't experienced either any of the literature any of the outside art i mean there's there's a whole world of everything else he did that i don't know you know
3: but but ultimately (sighs) it's it's still something that i respect immensely again just as this kind of individual you know uncompromising idea of this is my final statement to the world this is my final expression of myself i'm putting it out there and I hope you like it. I'm yeah. Sorry if
2: you don't. Take me as I am. I mean, because because you're both completely right. It, it is all those things. And I know it's a cop out, but it doesn't pretend not to be. And that's why I really, really like it. it. At least goes, and I know it at the end. Whereas so many other films are so arty to the point of frustration being like, I'm my own thing in the corner and don't worry about me. It, 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 it comes to the end of an offering being like, I know I didn't make sense. And I wasn't trying to. And it's okay if you didn't like me. I don't need you to. And that, it know, it knows. It knows.
0: I wonder if Death of the Poet was always kind of an idea that is out there, like in creative spaces. I mean, I'm sure mm. it predates even this and predates, of course, Death of the Author. And yeah. I mean, if this invented that phrase, I'd be like, this is a pretty important work, but I don't know that.
2: Yeah, no, none of us are clever enough for that, sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, I, I don't want to uh, influence the too much because I made chaos with the last two choices.
3: So. <laughs> I'm... I'm...
0: The most chaotic thing is for me to stay out of this one. <laughs> I think.
3: Uh, How about just
2: accept my ranking? Just accept my ranking as canon, and let's get out of
3: it. Here's here's what I'll accept. I'll accept that it goes below Orpheus. That Orpheus is a better film. Yeah. So, I, I don't think we can put it above Orpheus for sure. So, uh, yeah. if that's the case, uh, yeah. I I will put it above my favorite film of all time. Yeah. <laughs> because <Okay. laughs> I know I know both of you guys were less enthusiastic about it and i know that i was probably taken more with it in the moment than i am Mm -hmm. you know overall uh i I would definitely look forward to going back and revisiting the eagle two heads i don't think it it should be said here that i don't think there's a bad film
2: in the bunch no these are all really good movies i like all of them i had a great time eagle's the only
0: one i wouldn't recommend to someone new to uh cut uh i want this one too i would this one and <laughs> Testament and this, Eagle. This is everything
3: Cocteau
2: means. Yeah, like are you you wanna watch the real Cocteau? Watch the Eagle Two Heads. It's pretty no one's really seen it. Watch it.
3: I look forward to watching it again at some point, but I'm also not like itching to return to it as opposed to like like again on, on the flip side, I was bowled over by those Parents Doriblos, and that's that's when I actively implore people to seek
0: out these last two i think i'm most looking forward to well blood of a boat maybe just like the orphic trilogy as a whole yeah. is uh, very returnable for me because i was sick through this last half of it and uh, i wonder what it would be like awake
2: I, I also with Testament of Orpheus like the first five minutes being a direct like continuation can we have more direct sequels to art house film <laughs> like, yeah I thought the, that
0: too Yeah, like
2: the souvenir part two also showed this to me being like well, you know what we should have more like part two for random art house movie <laughs> That's
0: why are, just... are art house like the Friday 13th why don't I have like 12 yeah. versions of uh, the lighthouse um.
2: it, I mean, actually Testament of Orpheus and the souvenir part two are quite similar um, in yeah. ways that would really reward exploration so if you I mean, people here. Just, everyone watched the Super Part Two. It's 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 maybe the best movie of last year. I don't know. Watch or an award show about it, and let's find out. Yeah.
3: Well, uh, shall we wrap this up with a rundown of the final ranking then?
2: Yeah. Hmm. I forget what it is, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did, or
0: did or Faye was, was at the bottom. Let's go from the bottom. No. Or Faye was in last. No, it the wasn't. E- it what?
2: wasn't at last. You're lying to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. At number one, we have uh, Beauty and the Beast, of course. Okay, then, Blood of a Poet. Then, um, what's next? There's
2: There's it's Peron Taribla. Peron the third greatest movie of all time. Very good. Very,
0: very, very good. Um, it's very good. Then we're constructing it again as we go. I don't then know Orpheus, Orpheus. Yes.
2: Then The Testament of Orpheus. And then the objectively greatest movie ever made
0: <laughs> Eagle with Two Heads. And we, two heads. Uh, as a whole, I think we recommend them all. One of us recommends mm. each of these movies. We all got something from each of them. So,
3: yeah. I, I suppose that's the benefit of having a teeny tiny filmography is mm-hmm. that you know you're you're more likely to get the you know uh, do less bad i guess as you go along yeah. like you're, you're you're less likely to have a disastrous failure um and yeah so in in some ways i think Kunkto achieved that
0: yeah know. and the spread out filmography where it's sometimes you know, like three or four years sometimes they're close together in the same year
3: there, there's okay. a 30 year gap between his first film and his last film. Exactly, that's
0: awesome. I love that. With six films, that's yeah. fantastic.
2: Well, yeah, he was doing other art, all right. He's yeah, he yeah. 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 wasn't math, not right? busy. There's yeah, also it, as Calvin was saying, thing. man, like, there, there's doing a lot that stuff. happened in that time yeah. frame. <laughs> oh yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, there was at least one very big event, um, which yeah. he skipped for a bit. But you know,
3: yeah. <laughs> all right. Well. Uh... I'm sure we have some podcasts and stuff to recommend. And maybe Please don't talk play. about
0: those uh, on the okay. podcast. No, All we right. can. There are. Oh, yeah, we can talk about those. Because um, those are the Twin Geeks productions. I just uh, saw the intro for the new stacks. I don't know when that's coming.
2: Uh, I think know? next week I spent... Okay. So uh, this has been a long project. So last year, so for those that don't know, um, myself and Jack Davenport of Jack Davenport fame, who you'll know from his name being mentioned, um, just all right. Fantastic human being. So a person I found through Letterboxd and then we found out we live quite near to each other and then, you know, good friends, amazing dude. last year we on the cuff decided to do an award show together because the world needs more award shows and this year because jack is a very talented human being and i i am not i just speak a lot um we are using his technical expertise to stacks 2.0 so this is our second annual awards um our man, and we i i of there were 150 films eligible so between the two of us i had watched 148 of them um, <laughs> How many had Jack seen? <laughs> Jack had seen. Considerably really less, but he'd seen <laughs> right. two that I hadn't. And I actually then watched one more, that he hadn't watched. <laughs> I think. He ended up as 151 in the end, actually, because he brought a couple of ones at the end. So there's like mm. 151, 152 eligible films that we put into a whole number of awards. Some very, very serious ones. We did all the Oscar categories. Well, not all of them. We didn't do the technical ones because we know how to zone. We don't know costume design. We don't know sound editing. That mm. isn't us. That's not for us to speak about. We did the main ones and then we had extra awards. Like, when is the Oscars going to include the most disappointing film award? Because it should do. Because we've got that. All right. We will talk about your French dispatches, your licorice pizzas, you know, the disappointing films of the year. How many, uh, you
0: have a user category. How many uh, did you get in there? Yeah.
2: That? So, um, and for some of the awards, we let the users vote as well. And you can see myself and Jack being only mildly rude to our fan base. (laughs) you voted for that, really? Um, That's always pretty interesting because obviously Jack and I have very different tastes to most people. So it's great to see. We think this is the best performance, but most people actually think that. um, Zeros and ones came up a lot less in the user vote than it did in in my ballot, for example, um, which bizarre to me. So, yeah, there's the Stacks Awards coming soon. We spoke for over three hours, had a lovely time, um, we go for awards, and at the end we actually created a ranked top ten list of the year. And, as I say several times, I want to live in a world where the Oscars labels those ten films, because the ten films we pick is wild.
0: Would you say that uh, zeros and ones is a count of the people who saw it, including you?
2: <laughs> how, how dare you? <laughs> Alex exists. Um, a zeros and ones is an amazing with me that i try and nominate for several awards it is not eligible for including for a language <laughs>
3: <laughs> i can't wait this, this sounds wonderful where can we see the next where, it will be on
2: youtube.com but primarily you will see it on the twingeeks.com, which will be hosting it i believe that jack is also producing an audio tran- an audio version of it um in a podcatcher some some rss feed that you can find primarily it's a youtube video which i would recommend you watch because we've all seen the introduction here um jack is a good video editor um he's done a very fun thing for the intro which he messaged me about and i was like yes um and i slightly collaborated and yeah it's, it's brilliant so the stack's coming soon um next week hopefully but videos it i spoke mostly me obviously um <laughs> for three hours so it's a lot um two is sessions that just the, the first part three hours no, it, it, it's gonna be in two parts about an hour and a half each we're calling it the get stack sessions but um and yeah it's i think it's really good we had a great time
0: and uh there's an incredible music intro uh, uh done by jack written by you is that is that correct
2: yeah i, I did the lyrics okay. um um but inspired by someone else obviously yes and jack did the the, the music to it and the editing and it's it's, it's brilliant it's really brilliant he's so good
3: Oh, that's a big thing to look forward to for the site for mm. sure. Uh, but we got lots of other things to, to look forward to in the meantime. Let's see. Uh, the, the Daydream cast is back and uh, doing great. They're on uh, mm. a great pace, regular pace now. So uh, everything you want for your uh, bi-weekly video game content. Uh, we love having them. And I think they have a guest coming up for their next episode. Is it you? Yeah. I good.
2: wonder who it is. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're talking about roguelike pokemon uh yeah yeah we we're talking
3: cool. about the the first uh iteration of the pokemon mystery dungeon games
2: that is a roguelike I, I is that like in like the dreadmore category of like games that before roguelike became a thing that we go oh it turns out we were doing this for a while yeah yeah I guess
3: you could say
0: that. yeah uh, cool. is that is that the first game where you could like move individually as a pokemon I, th- I think that's like an arbitrary distinction but but is that the first one where you're moving as a pokemon
3: i'm gonna have to think about that i feel and, like it could and be. get back to you like maybe we'll weigh in on that on the actual episode it's not okay. recorded yet so like all, all pokemon thoughts will, will be reserved for for that discussion
2: quick 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 question favorite pokemon go Tentacruel. really i've <laughs> yeah. never heard that as an yeah. answer and that That's, was so quick that was incredible <laughs> no one has it's, ever it's, said that before
3: it's been documented very much so the year before oh, right. that I have a I have a secret repressed history with Pokemon and it's. it's I love Pokemon a, and
0: tentacle Pokemon. monsters. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I I I, I don't, we don't talk about other lives here, but let's say hypothetically if we did, um, I Please got given but, a, yeah. a a mug at work because we have to drink out of mugs with tops on them because we won't forget ridiculous um and it's obviously got the branding of the, the the place that i work on it and at one point let's say i can't say student so let's say a person that works under me it's already where we putting it was going to the shop and said "Do you want anything and i said surprise me and they came back with a child's pokemon magazine <laughs> which came with stickers so i just have pokemon stickers on my mug and they've been on it for three years and they just cover up the the company branding um so i have my my fun pokemon mug that occasionally Underlings go, is that a Pokemon mug? And they go, well, no, but also, yes.
0: Okay. But well, what was yours? Is your favorite on the mug? We haven't got your favorite. No,
2: it's not. Pokemon. My favorite Pokemon is Magikarp.
0: Okay. Um, I like
3: that. R- I like that choice. Magikarp so
0: much useless Pokemon.
2: <laughs> exactly. Calvin?
0: Uh, mine's Delmize. Nice. It's the big anchor made of seaweed that uh, basically it's seaweed controlling an anchor on a ship. It's I, uh, it's like, like grass ghost type I, ice I
3: appreciate Pokemon. Calvin's pick so much because most people you hear's favorite is be like steven of mine where it's like it's one of the original 151 yeah. pokemon the pokemon that's what i call the, them the pokemon yeah the the, <laughs> the generation that grew up with them. yeah, yeah. Pokemon. Pick something that's like probably it's like the in the 500s of pokemon right?
1: is it sword and that...
0: shield or, or is delmy delmai's been around for a while no uh, no
3: yeah. i think it came out with sword and shield i think because I I,
0: and it was like a late game thing like i found him late in the game in sword and shield that's a point where you don't want to replace just... your pokemon because you've developed them with new ones that you've just found around all right like i'm basically end game at this point and i've i find this delma that's so it's just covered with a uh, seaweed and instantly i like the idea of a grass water uh, ice type uh that that seems to have technical advantages that others just don't like, have. Though.
2: metaphorically, what I've learned for this is Calvin still has room in his heart for love and that David and I don't. We're just like, no, 150 done. Whereas Calvin can still learn and grow as a person, is therefore a superior human being.
0: <laughs> I like uh, Psyduck the most out of the original one.
2: Yeah, Psyduck's my number two. Oh, very so relatable
0: great. to me. So.
2: Yeah, I love him. Wonderful. So that's the daydream cast. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, we have a, a modern cast coming and um 808 and Podbreak coming this next week too so lots of stuff and
2: and send us your emails to thinking wait what's the email god damn it <laughs> i didn't make it <laughs>
0: thinking, thinking of, spoiling, of at spoiling at gmail.com thinking
2: of spoiling at gmail.com so um by the time you listen to this in two days time you as well listen to this. this is coming out fridays or not um we will be recording an episode on Turning Red, the Pixar movie. Um, so, if you've got any questions about that movie you want to hear myself and Vaughn talk about, send them in. to you think exploding at gmail.com or any general questions? Yeah. You if to you, me to if you listen something?
0: to this, if you listen to this after that episode, please just send general yeah. inquiries.
2: You want to give us like, I was going to say. I'm not going to say it because it's a rude word. I would not say fuck, marry, kill. But if you want to give us like that for like random things. Like do they, Don't give them like, ideas. Like, <laughs> would you rather statements? Give us weird questions. All right. Give me, give us weird things. Challenge Steven, me my Steven Batman Bond opinions.
3: we will read literally anything you send them. On, I, on uh, I, we will.
2: Wait, like uh, so, style so
3: prepare your B-movie scripts. You know, mm. bring out all your your co- your copy pastas. Have them all ready. Mm. They're gonna be. Back.
2: I will happily read a copy pasta. Like so, so happily.
0: Let's do a practice round. Fuck Mary, kill um
2: <laughs> tentacruel. Den- yeah, Pokemon. Delmize, <laughs> uh,
0: Psyduck and tentacruel.
2: No, I
1: refuse.
0: <laughs> uh, fuck tentacruel, obviously. Um, <laughs> I would die. Uh, <laughs> Marry Psyduck.
3: Yeah, Mary said. I think that's oh, right. Kill
0: Magic- I guess. Oh, killing my Magic- favorite. Yes.
2: Magikarp's not even involved.
0: Oh, no. No. I feel like you can't quite marry him, but I mean. It...
2: Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think Magikarp can consent to anything, so please don't marry Magikarp. Yeah.
0: <laughs> just flops around in bed. Yeah. Just...
2: I guess the well, only
1: speaking, thing you can do is just flopping
3: around in bed. Um, <laughs> what?
2: Please
0: there... um... don't talk about this on the podcast.
1: we, we don't <laughs>
2: We get it. You're married. Jesus <laughs> Christ! All right.
0: Me too. I get it.
2: <laughs> I'm getting married. All right. I'll join the flopping around club.
0: <laughs> All right.
3: Before this gets too inappropriate, you guys have to tell me about your that's your, the right your big your big kaiju's that you got.
2: Oh yeah, that's a, that's a show that exists. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah.
3: What's what's going on? You guys just the last time you had a a terrific episode about oh, monster mashing. All the monsters. It was a graveyard smash. And fighting. Yeah. And in, in two different, uh, two different eras, two different versions, two different qualities, from my understanding as well. Mm,
2: yeah, and definitely. People say that movie's good. They're lying to you. Yeah. Um, we're going well, to get back to Gamera. Next? We're going to go back to Gamera. It's been yeah. a while since we went to Gamera. We're going to go back to Gamera with some people's favorite shower Gamera film coming up soon. Okay. Oh. Where it reveals that Gamera is a communist.
0: <laughs> is this your favorite is that what you're saying
2: no no it's not okay. um it's not it's 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 vault, i think um okay but yeah you've got communist camera so if you want communist camera then yeah in, which i did in
0: five years nobody will say king of the monsters is a good movie let's be honest with oh series. no
2: totally I, I i'm sorry good that's very temporary show, yeah but... <laughs> it's not a fun take to have people like they're like oh it's just a fun movie it's not fun that movie's not fun like half of it's just like i'm sad i'm like oh shut up Maybe it's not.
0: <laughs> that's uh our take on uh the twin geeks if you're sad shut up <laughs> well
3: thanks so much for joining us Stephen uh you made thank this you i'm sorry for fun.
2: everything that i did
0: <laughs> I is it midnight over there or is it what, what time are you at
2: eleven twenty seven okay Oh. close to it well
3: let's let's get you out of here before today ends how about that
2: before I pumpkin
3: yes <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much uh, We, we are, are we coming back next week Calvin or are we taking a break uh, between let's, let's I, I do the week doing...
0: after I have too much this week
3: okay week after is uh, not another director yet as we usually do we have a, a special episode coming still a, uh, a show we are regretful to do about
0: uh, Stephen's favorite band the Foo Fighters
2: (laughs) you can't bring that up now because now I feel bad about
0: it I'm sorry that's pretty that's like Uh, beating you into guilt—that I feel—that's gaslighting. I have have
2: maybe once on record saying Foo Fighters are rock music for people that don't like rock music, (laughs) and I still do stand by that. But I'm still very, very sad. Like the talented individuals, and obviously mean a lot to a lot of people. Um, they mean very little to me as musician, as like a musical band would make songs. But as a piece of music history and culture, they're very, very important. Obviously, and that film looks really, really fun. So, obviously, really, really tragic news.
0: So we're going to do Sonic Highway, uh, their documentary about going city to city and how that shapes their sound and uh, Studio 666. I, right. I was
2: watched that so another, I can listen.
3: I was also going to look at another documentary. Uh, back okay. and forth they did. So it's just, it's going to be a general Foo Fighters episode. We've done this kind of thing before. yeah. So uh, It'll just
0: be, just be all that. This time. Yeah, <laughs>
3: just, just expect general Foo Fighters discussion. Lament over Taylor Hawkins death. And some some remembering about uh, good times Calvin and I have had with the bands on on personal levels, and and just how we feel about the general situation now.
0: Never going to see him again. Just, uh... On that yeah. note, yeah. Um, thanks for talking sexy on the telephone.
3: <laughs>
2: That's the wrong uh, podcast, Calvin. Oh. <laughs> all
3: right, all right. I'll see you guys. I gotta uh, I gotta go flop around.
2: <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I have no witty thing to say. I'm sorry. (laughs)
1: conversations and I post them online for entertainment it's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world things have changed everybody's entertaining who's being entertained thank you Yeah